Rat Fink and Boo Boo. Masked men dedicated to fight crime and preserve justice. Look, Boo Boo, young lady in distress. Won't somebody help me? Me first, Rat Fink. Go, Boo Boo. I'll park the rat sickle. Oh, take that, Mr. Crook. Oh. Why not fight someone your own size, fella? Ah. Help me. Won't somebody please help me? The Rat Fink will. Ape, drop that girl. You heard me, you big ape. Take that, ape. Fink and Boo Boo, the leaders of today, building the leaders of tomorrow. And I want all you young people to grow up to be good American citizens. Remember, your country needs you. Rat Fink, you're the greatest. Rat Fink and Boo Boo are coming. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth. I really want to see a movie with an ape, but it's gotta be a swinging ape. Hated and reviled by his few remaining friends, he catches the attention of Thomas DJ, perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. Ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army and stunning assistant to keep him company, DJ springs into action. What is this idiocy? Virginia, use the molecular transmigration beam to bring this fool to me! Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a clap like thunder, and in a blinding psychedelic light, Chris Honeywell stands before his tormentor. Normally, I do not suffer fools, but I see beyond the yawning chasm of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage which is your mouth that they form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices. Uh, okay. Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices. Instant painless disintegration or you study grindhouse movies at my feet now! Choose! Uh, I choose not disintegration. So be it. In one month, I shall assign you a movie to watch and will summon you again. Be ready, or the consequences shall be swift and merciless. Right, but how do I get to the... Now go! And thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing. The Honeywell Experiment. Virginia, summon the subject. At last, scoundrel, I have found your lair. You again. Prepare to meet the hungry fist of crime. Virginia? A good crime fighter never hits a- Now let's see if I can see what went wrong. Maybe if I do just here and pull it and like just 
push this lever a little bit more to a more of a 45 degree angle and give it a try again now. Oh, hey, I'm hit. Whoa. Ooh. Do oh. Oh, what happened? Do not pay it. Virginia's taking care of something. Oh. That is. Oh. Do you Just... have a mop? Oh. <laughs> Please take a seat. Um. Did <sighs> you see this month's film? Oh, I saw it. I, uh, like I said, after what we went through with, um, yeah, that movie, I figured we needed a couple of softballs, and I figured why not dig into another one of those great guerrilla filmmakers like uh, Doris Wishman, uh, somebody who wanted to make films very, very badly, and he and did, did just that. Yes. <laughs> um, the, the, I, I uh, think you used the word palate cleanser for this, but yeah, like yeah. I think I got my palate so cleansed it was like almost like lobotomy or shock treatment time. It's it def definitely was a palate cleanser. <laughs> and um, this is of course we're talking about a very unusual film. By Las Vegas's own Ray Dennis Steckler. Um, and Ray Dennis Steckler, he, he made movies, all right. Um, yeah. <laughs> oddly enough, this is one of the few Ray Dennis Steckler films that does not star Ray Dennis Steckler, utilizing his acting name of Cash Flag. Which and, is a great name. Yeah, it's it's a great name. and But it does feature a number of his regular characters, including, of course, his wife at the time, Carolyn Brandt, um, and uh, James Bowie, who was in, of course, those incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed-up zombies. It's... I remember seeing this film at Thalia downtown in the in the 80s, not really knowing what to expect and going, okay, okay, so this is like going to be like, all right, yeah, just like the, the, these three mismatched gangsters are, are just going to terrorize Carolyn Brand for a while and then... Uh, Lonnie Lord will show up and save it. And then it go, got so weird. Imagine being in a movie theater and seeing at the 40-minute mark what happens in this movie. Well, I have a theory about that. Okay. Well, I, I, I can tell you exactly what happened, but go ahead. Give me your theory. Well, I, I have a theory by that. By 40 minutes into this movie... You've already got your date's bra off at the drive-in. Uh -huh. I think this is Ray Dennis Steckler's gift to people on dates at a okay. at a drive-in where nobody in the car 
can be distracted by the movie. It's mm-hmm. just a straight. It's just a straight shot to like. There's nothing else to do. We either go and get snacks and call it a night, or uh, we start fogging up the windows. And you know, I think it, I think it serves that. Pr- now, now I, I sound like I'm like, oh, this movie or whatever. I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. Yeah, I mean, this is this is objectively not a good movie at all. No, in fact, but it's in, in its way, not good it in a actually, great way. In its way, it is actually less competent than the than the film Steckler did before it. Those incredibly strange creatures. Dot dot dot. Um, but it it is such a joy. <laughs> it is, but and apparently the true. What was that? Oh, the true story behind this was that. Uh, Steckler, who this was when he was still living in Los Angeles, his film was shot, obviously shot in Los Angeles. Um, he was intending on doing this kind of thriller called The Depraved, which was about <laughs> the chain gang and um, CC Beaumont. But the thing was, Steckler got bored halfway through filming steckler just got bored with it and decided to to improvise this goofy batman's riff well this is dumb genius because it's about where that's about the point where i'm about over the the whole narrative of this gang Mm -hmm. this weird gang and stuff and going like where is this gonna go is this gonna go anywhere this seems sort of like a loop of the same things happening over and over again and then, and then, as if like Ray Dennis Steckler is a psychic from beyond the grave, the the whole movie <laughs> turns pink, and it's a different movie altogether. And then you, you have to you have to patch this... it together from there. So your brain has something to do with it. So it right. it works. <laughs> we should mention that this film um, isn't black and white, but it's tinted black and white, and. It, there, there literally is, it seems like, three acts. The first act is tinted blue. And that just introduces the chain gang composed of Link. And we know he's Link, because, even though he looks like a young Hunter S. Thompson. Because he has a chain, a, 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 a chain of links, right? Makes sense. There's there's Hammer, who looks like uh, a landscaper. But we know <laughs> he's Hammer because he's got a hammer. And then we got Benji, who is played by a dog. James... No, not a dog. No, no. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. The, 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 the guy who does not look like he belongs with the gang and laughs a lot and keeps going, what are we going to do something? Oh, we, I, we need to get some dough. What are we going to do something? Let's do something. Let's go out. Let's do something. He looks like Dwayne, the, the actor Dwayne Jones from Night of the Living Dead on speed, like a, <laughs> as an amphetamine freak, you know? And I'm He's... guessing that that's what they're like. It's not spelled out in the movie, but I'm guessing that they're sort of based on like, amphetamine crazed youth because they're all just like 
super spaz that's that scene especially where they're all just laying yeah. around it's like time to kill people come on guys what are you hey, lazy mind you they never kill anybody in this film no. <laughs> they, they, they scare the shit out of one woman who actually falls unconscious they assault her brutally but yeah. they yeah but they like they might just lose interest well, they're like, you know, they're 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 one of those purist gangs, you know. <laughs> so they they they're all about the stock and the and so when they finally get through it, she puts up a a decent fight and the guy gets to choke her to death. About halfway through, he's just like, "Eh, I'm over it. I'm over it. We 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 did the fun part now and uh we'll move move on to another stocking and then and then like and that's what I thought when I was like, oh, this movie's going to be different when she like wakes up and like runs away. And it's like, oh, OK, this this movie actually reminds me of like if you gave a budget to a bunch of 12 year olds mm-hmm. to make the movie. But it's actually like I think the 12 year olds would have been ruder. They would have been like, we need some boobies in here. Mm-hmm. And somebody says boobies. And then. <laughs> And then they kill this guy, and then this guy gets shot. You know, and it, it, you know there would be stabbings yeah. and shootings and stuff. And this, this, this movie is pr- pretty. Ra- I, I mean, it has some at moments in the beginning some genuine tension as they're chasing mm-hmm. after after a girl and stuff. It sets it up okay, you know, like mm-hmm. played competent- by Carolyn Brandt competently is, uh... and stuff. And it could yeah. be kind of scary to a kid. But once it gets going, it becomes obvious that it's like it's it's G- and then the last half of it is like completely G-rated. It's it's very yeah. it's very strange. It doesn't. It seems like it's just fighting. Not it's like it's fighting to make a new shape so it can't be fit into the peg pegboard in it's any like, way, shape, or form. It's like kids in the backyard suddenly getting bored with their game and deciding to play superheroes. Yeah, and then all of a sudden another kid comes over, but he's yeah. like the funny kid, and he's like he's the funny kid, and he he's like let's put the gorilla. sock over, let's put the sock over everybody's head, and now they're they're goofballs, and yeah, and get the gorilla out here. <laughs> and so, I should point out that that the film that Steckler made before Rat Think of Ubu was called Lemming Grow Kid Meets the Monsters, which is actually three short films that were inspired by the Bowery Boys. With, um... I'm trying, his name's on the tip of my tongue, too. Leo Gorsi playing, with, uh, with Ray Dennis Steckler playing the Leo Gorsi character. So, um... But yeah, so he was he was in that headspace. I, I think you know he had a daughter at the time. And in fact, I just learned today that the the legend that I heard about how, why this film is called Ratfinka Boo Boo is inaccurate. But, oh, I was gonna ask why that is because I've never okay. heard why. I mean, why why the legend? I, can I guess what? Can I guess what the legend is? Because this yeah. is the only I can only. Uh, ELO had their first album named No Answer because somebody said, we got to put this album out, call up the band and find out what the name of their album is. And they called them up and nobody answered and they wrote No Answer down on the 
the steno okay. pad and they ran with it. So I'm thinking this one is just like a, a you know, they said put, write down the name of the movie and he just forgot to write ND after A and that's how and that's just how all the stuff went out. That's my it's guess. It's very similar. Very similar to the legend. The legend is supposedly that Steckler paid somebody to do the title sequence. And they mistakenly called it Ratfink Abubu instead of Ratfink and Boo and they did not have the money to pay him to redo the sequence. The real story is, however, and, and Seckler says on he said, I let people print the legend because it's it sounds more fun. It's better. <laughs> yeah. Um his daughter was uh, on the set a lot because of course, I mean both both the child's mother and father were in the movie, were involved in the movie, and during the fight scenes, she kept chanting, rat, bang, boo, boo, rat, bang, boo, boo, and he thought it sounded great, so that's why yeah. he came. So, but he says, you know what, the, the, the legend that came, that grew up out of it um, was better, so I let people believe that. I, I like the real story better because it always sounded like kind of in, infantile, you know? It always yeah. sounded it sounded like something a little kid would say, and now that it did, it makes sense, and it's also very cute that he did that, like, for his daughter, basically, you know? Or yeah. basically, you know? So, yeah, I like that and better. This, is, this, along with Lemon Grove Kid, is something of a... Anomaly, because most of Brayden Steckler's films are fairly violent horror movies. Well, violent in quote horror films. Um, but he, God bless him, he's I've got here. I'm looking at his credits. There's like a whole lot of credits here. And the guy was working up until 1997. I, I one more time was I'm sure released posthumously, but he died. He had died by then. And he started out in Los Angeles, moved to Las Vegas. Um, even though he, even though Carolyn, he and Carolyn Brandt, who is the lead lady in this film, um, split up, he still put her in his films. He, I, I'm convinced that he thought she was going to be a big star. And. It was. It's. It's. It's just such a such a joy, though. I'm sorry. I love this film unapologetically because it's. It's so. It's obvious. There's like. A, there's like. A, let's. There, let's. Get, you know how some movies make... are consciously meta. This movie yeah. is is not consciously meta, but you're forced into the meta of it by watching it. Going, what the hell is going on here? You know. Right. Right. It, you know, somebody made half a movie and then they decided to make another half of a movie or they had two halves of two different movies and decided to figure out how to stitch them together or something. You're just, you know, trying to figure what the hell is going on and keep up with the weirdness on the screen. And yeah. it, it, it just begs a million questions about the production of the movie. It's just such a, such a sense of let's put on a show that yeah, um, it's like, well, what else do we have? Well, we got we got Bob Burns' phone number. Let's have a gorilla in the film. Krogar the swinging gorilla. Um, let's say it just it, it's just 
And that's funny is the gorilla actually like as far as like cinema goes, that gorilla has is the most famous and well known aspect person in this movie. <laughs> you know, pretty much. Yeah, went went on to Kogar is the one that went on to fame and fortune, and you know was I think he was in the the he was the ape in the Ghostbusters show. Yep. With the basically, the Bob Burns was a um. He collected movie memorabilia and he had an ape suit. And if you had a couple of bucks, Bob Burns would bring his ape suit to your movie. And he and he he'll, he would be a gorilla for you. And but that's yes, just, you're that, right. And that's he, the thing, it's anybody could get an ape suit, but when you see Bob Burns in a gorilla suit, it's like Peter Mayhew in the Chewbacca outfit or whatever, yeah. you know, he, he, his body language is just is there. And he his like body language sort of became the standard for like how you work a gorilla suit. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I had a cheap gorilla suit that I used to use in, <laughs> in band performances for a very short period of time because they're very, very, very. I cannot mm -hmm. stress how hot and sweaty they are. Yeah, but oh, yeah, I can imagine. Instantly, you start doing the 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 Bob Burns type body language with your arms and beat, the way you beat your chest and stuff because it just is ingrained from watching people in ape suits. It's definitely Man not from watching. Still alive ape. today. Um, man, still alive today. I'm sure he would gladly get into the suit if we wanted to give him money, but uh, I would not do that. But he's, he's actually fascinating because he's an archivist. He has a collection of science fiction paraphernalia that rivals the sex monster who most people think of when they think of uh, collections of science fiction paraphernalia. And we're not going to I'm not going to use his his fucking name in this in this show. Most people will. I'll ask people, you. I'll ask you after the recording. <laughs> most people will know exactly who I'm talking about. The guy was a sex monster, and I, he used to, um, you know, he he used to deal in child pornography. And I am not going to. Aye, aye, aye. Okay. Use his name in this show. I'll, I'll I'll ask you off air. You will. You, <laughs> you will ask me off there's air. Like two or three names go bloop bloop bloop. There. No, no, <laughs> it, 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 yeah, um, he is one of the reasons I left the Horror Writers Association of New York. Oh yeah yeah yeah. And I'll tell you the story about it. But uh, but yeah, Bob, you're right. Bob Burns is probably the most successful person in this film. Although, in addition to Carolyn Brandt and James Bowie, Titus. Mode, I guess is how it's pronounced. He was in uh, a couple of other films. Um. So, but it's it's just it's just this is just goofy ass fun. And I I just I, I know you your theory is that basically people would be too. It's something it's background music. It's like the equivalent of putting something on in the background while you're ironing. In the context the of when it came out, it, it can't yeah. be, it's not that anymore because now it's actually, you can't pull your eyes off it because of mm -hmm. what it was. But like when you're we're in those drive-ins and they were just churning movies, you know, movie after movie after movie or in a grindhouse or whatever, you know, 
this has long i mean it just has long chase sequences oh, are, oh oh yeah the the, the, the third act because okay you have the first act which is the which is the blue act then you have the sepia tone act which is sounds just, like a truffaut like we we're describing a truffaut movie. yeah i know it sounds it, it is not as artistic as, it, as we're making it sound but during the sepia tone act it's just the chain the, the chain gang Basically, prank calling Carolyn Brandt's CB Bovat. <laughs> am I am I wrong? No, and I forgot there is some there is some sort of like teasy teasy at nudity stuff, but it's uh, again it's so like coy and and yeah. and cutesy that I, I forgot and and just like her reaction to it, which is sometimes horrified, sometimes just like, huh. <laughs> And <laughs> going about her day, you know? <laughs> yeah. Supposedly, uh, this whole film, the, the original film, The Depraved, was inspired by the fact that Brandt was getting obscene phone calls. So, but yeah, but the, and, and God bless her. You know, God bless her. Carolyn Brandt, very attractive woman. There's no doubt in my mind she's a very attractive woman. I... You know, I've seen her in several of Steckler's films, but an actress she is not. No, no, she comes off as like, I mean, she's she's too young in this, but she just comes off as someone got their mom to act and their mom's, <laughs> you know, competent enough to learn the lines and stuff, yeah. but just just not, you know, just going along with it. Just, you know, just sort of, you know, you know just going like, OK, I'm ga she's game. For right. the whole thing, for the whole thing, and she doesn't come off as like <clears throat> completely awful, like some B movie actresses, yeah. just like like really pretty, but you could tell that they were just like had a really bad voice or were dumb as a rock or whatever. Right. Well, no, but she's no, she comes flat, off as though. being intelligent. You know, you can yeah. tell she's very intelligent, but mm. she's yeah, acting is just not her thing. You know, it, like totally when they're doing music video sort of stuff. Yeah. She's she's perfect for it and looks yeah. looks the role, you know. To be totally honest, when um, Ron Haydock playing, you know, teen idol Lonnie Lord, who has millions of fans <laughs> and millions of fans, he never in this knew movie. when he'll be called upon to sing. He always carried yeah, his guitar. Exactly. He never knew when he'd be he called upon to sing. And, and and like immediately when that starts out at the beginning, I'm like. Oh God! Please tell me this is gonna run through the whole movie because I sort of got misled by the Golden Turkey Awards reading mm -hmm. about this as a kid who just sort of presented it as a parody of Bat of Batman, of like mm -hmm. the Batman TV show that was like horribly like post dubbed, and that was about yeah. all that you know they you know they really said about it, and it's not really that it, it and it's no, not no, super horribly post dubbed. But it, it's like when you hear the narrator, it's like, oh, narrator is a classic way right. to fill fill in the gaps. So, and, and this narrator is like Ed Wood narrator where he's got a very just sort of cheesy voice, you know, not the vocal voice, but like the, the right. writer voice is really cheesy and like wordy. And then it just disappears. <laughs> I, I will give Steckler some credit here. Okay, believe it. I, I I have a great deal of fun. I, we've talked about this. I have a great deal of fondness for outsider cinema. And Steckler, 
People are still talking show. about this movie. Yeah, people it's are still talking us. about this movie, and and the thing is, is that there are moments in all of his films where you realize that Steckler actually was competent. Yeah. He was actually not totally off the rails. But he kept getting dragged off the rails by his own ideas. And, um... Well, I think there's also become an appreciation for, as, you know, as time goes on, I think movies have been sort of demystified mm -hmm. because, A... We have just more media now and like, you know, there's just it used to be you, you would have a TV special and stuff. That was the start of it, telling how they did the mm -hmm. special effects and stuff. But now people watch like, you know, they get a DVD and or a Blu-ray or whatever the kids are using nowadays. And it's got it's got all the behind the scenes footage. It's got the director and writer, yeah. you know, telling you all about how they worked it out and what they mm -hmm. what they meant and everything over it so people have an understanding of movies and i think that also brought out like the appeal of the people who got movies made without mm. you know having the support of a big studio and money or even talent they just wanted to do it and then they did i think the movie ed wood like yeah helped brought that into the, for better or worse into the you know mass consciousness but right Right. You know, now no. nowadays people appreciate like something mm. like just the the odds against a movie like Rat Finka Boo Boo <laughs> being played on a movie screen are infinitesimal, and there it is, and we're but still it, talking about it. And we're to, to this day, we are still we are still in fact talking about it. But it's uh, he was, and the thing is, Steckler I think was in on his own joke. I remember vividly once watching a uh, a, a, a series about low-budget filmmaking. And during this, um, during this series, there was an episode where they briefly interviewed Ray Dennis Steckler, both as him, as the director, and as Cash Flag. So... I don't think that he he was ever offended if people laughed at his movies. No, like he I, was he. There's always uh, like at the edges of when when, you know, the, it's very similar to now with the streaming services and stuff, right. where, and with the internet. But then it was more like you know you had, all of a sudden you had movie theaters, drive-ins, and TV, mm -hmm. all existing. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, TV is going to kill movies and stuff. But what it actually did was create this huge vacuum for content. So well, well, were... here we go into my rant about the uh, the Paramount decision and why it was good for movies and why the fact that the government decided they weren't going to enforce it anymore is bad for the movies. But yeah, yeah. But th this is this is what happened is that because the Paramount decision the Supreme Court said, you know what? You can't own your own movie theaters. And anybody should be able to uh, be able to market their movie if they, if they want to, and they can do it successfully. And that's why we had this tremendous influx in the 50s and 60s of mm -hmm. independent produ mm -hmm. production companies and people like Ray Dennis Steckler, who I want to make movies 
damn it, I want to make movies badly. And what did he do? Like, we, we, we joke about it. Yes, he did. But as bad as most of these films are, and most, I mean, later on, his work just degenerated into pornography. Um, but there is a certain uniqueness to his vision. Yeah, and he, like, usually, like, the people, like, in his world that come out with movies like him... Are, mm-hmm. Like I, okay, I don't know a lot about Ray Dennis Steckler, but I he he comes off as not be, being too far off the social like Ed Wood, you know, not yeah. as weird as Ed Wood or so, or a modern day equivalent, say a Neil Breen <laughs> or oh, something like God. that. Yes. Who just wants to make movies or Tommy Wiseau, right? Who have who have obviously something going on, something weird going on there, but maybe that's what push got them the momentum to actually make their thing but he oh. seems to be just sort of like a a you know he was probably a, a like a charismatic you know fun guy in that sort of you know Vegas Hollywood of the yeah. era time but he doesn't seem like he's a like was like a super weirdo or like you know or you know or or do you know Maybe more on the lines of like Rudy Ray Moore, where he was, uh, where he just sort of like was. Rudy May Ray Moore was sort of rolling with it though, but it, right. but Rudy May Ray Moore was Ray not a, a like a, a super weirdo. He was just like yeah. a, a, a driven guy, and right. uh, and Steckler comes off as as that, and like any weirdness that he had in him is more reflected in his movies than it is in his re- mm. real life, you know. He doesn't seem as weird as his movies, is what I guess I'm trying to say. (laughs) The Reader's Digest version of it. So, um, there are, of course, we should mention that this is a musical. There are are four songs in it. That aren't bad. They're not bad. They're okay. They're they're, they're not as good as some of the songs in The Incredibly Strange Creatures, to be totally honest. No, they're sort of, but they sort of fit as gene- as generic versions of that kind of song you would see yeah. in those days in a musical. So it's it's almost a little, it's like, I probably not meant to be, but it's got a sort of dry comedy to it, you know, like a dry a parody line. to it. This film was this film was released in 1966, the year that music changed kind of forever. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's still sounding very fifties. Yeah, it's it's exactly that's the point I was going to make is that Lonnie Lord's music sounded very much of a, of a time that had just passed. But it's it's serviceable. Yeah, and as as you pointed out, some of the the the, the sequences where it's just a montage of Brant and Ron Haydick just having a good time they're not bad. yeah they're not bad at all it's only when we slow down and we get to know cb beaumont that we're like oh yeah no it seems like some parts of it could have been clipped out of uh uh black and white you know an cello frankie avalon beach movie or something like that and they sort of work as a low-budget parody of those those things. 
sort of. Like, I think not, ever since Airplane happened, parody has become very broad, like when movies right. parody other movies. And back in these days, it seemed to be more more of a more dry and, and uh, well, closer also, to the bone. Keep in mind that this, this is made in 66. So this is before, or I, I would say that the when it comes to the way comedy was written, the turning point was laughing. Because laughing had that yeah. machine gun. Uh, if we t- tell a joke and it doesn't work, don't worry, the next one's coming right up. Uh, very anarchic and very um, quantity and quality, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and, and that led to, meanwhile, while that's going on, we have um, the Second City starting in Chicago. And the groundlings starting in uh, Los Angeles, along with the credibility gap. And that leads, of course, to Saturday Night Live. And that just blows the lid off. And we have a different style of comedy from then on in. And And you have stuff like uh, Kentucky Fried Movie and the Groove Tube and stuff. well, Well, the Groove Tube, yeah, all part of... Uh, all part of this this movement, but six th- this film is more it's taking its humor from once again a time that is it hasn't passed yet, but it is coming close to yeah. finally coughing its last. So there there is a, there's a definite even I'm sure even in '66 there was a definite quaintness to this film. Um, and there's just but it's just so charming. You know? Oh yeah, and you get to see you get to see some you know the scenery of the time period. You mm-hmm. get to see the gas was thirty cents a gallon, and oh god, I, I'm one of these people that when I see uh, in an older movie uh, that there's a movie theater, I I look yeah. to see what's playing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, it's just it's it's, and it, we just. We just watched Maniac Cop and the and and yeah. just like Maniac Cop and anything Larry Cohen related, related this had a uh, a great low budget resource the parade where you yes. can get action free action and free extras out the wazingo. Uh, this was this was pure and this has this, this is even better because that you know that they actually went to the town. You can see they went to the town and said, look, we want to promote our mo- upcoming movie, Rat Finka Boo Boo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we will have the stars of Rat Finka Boo Boo drive through town and, and everything for right. and your parade. And the city said, oh, that sounds great. <laughs> well, actually, according to according to Ray Dennis Seckler, they just joined this parade. <laughs> and better. Even and more Larry everything, Cohen-like. that whole sequence was shot guerrilla style. Yeah, yeah. And people did not know what the fuck these three people were doing on this motorcycle. The so, kids loved it. Uh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. And I don't know if that is actually um, Ray, Ron Haddock's voice. But the 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 Ratfink voice is so fucking hilarious. Fight crime! Fight crime! Everything is everything is kind of he kind of 
stretches out that last word of every sentence. I've got you, you fiend. Well, I like how he worked out this whole thing with, like, how to ride the motorcycle with his cape. Oh, gosh, yes. And there's so many scenes of him, like, having to adjust his cape to do things, to run with it. To, to, there's one scene where he's on the motorcycle and they and like the cape obviously gets splashed in a mud puddle and he's like wiping yeah. it oh, off afterwards. It's it's, it's oh boy, it it is something. <laughs> and the nice thing is it's 72 minutes, so yeah. it, it will not. It's so short that it that the the that moment of. What the fuckery never quite disappears. Yep. And I, I, I rewatched this for the, for the show on a day when I was not feeling very up with people. But after I was done, I was like, I needed that. Because <laughs> I felt like, I felt like kind of like I was in a good mood after watching it. Because like, it's yeah. just kind of fun, you know? Yeah, fuck you, Golden Turkey Awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, <laughs> much, much like Mystery Science Theater three thousand, I have a conflicted. Yeah, me too. Um, feeling towards the Medved Brothers and their Golden Turkey Awards and the what was the other one? What was the one they did as a follow up? Oh, I can't. I think it was just like it was like more turkeys or something like that. More turkeys and something yeah. or something like that. But like, I mean, the thing is, like when I re, re I reread it a couple years ago and I was like, oh, man, I disagree with 90 percent of this. And then I was like, holy shit, there's a lot of really good movies in here, well, <laughs> like legitimately he good movies in there. And, and I was like, well, but at the same time. That was the book that peaked, you know, Gene Shalit was talking about it when I was a little kid. And I said, Mom, mm -hmm. I want that book. That sounds funny. And we saw it in the store and she bought me like the paperback mm -hmm. copy of it. And that was an intro, you know, that was my introduction into that world. And, so and now that, that I disagree with much... all of it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it got me there. That was pretty much the int my introduction as well was because I took that this book out of the library multiple times and yeah, read it yeah, through that. multiple times. And in fact, if you I don't know if you remember in the, the Golden Turkey Awards, they had a contest that said one of these films is made up. Oh, and, that's right. That's right. And I wrote in. I wrote. I I tried to solve the problem. I did not get it right. But they did. They they did kind of tell me which film it was that was the made up film. Um. But yeah. But I mean, looking at it now, it's like they're punching down. Yeah. So much at at, at at this. Now, granted, I say this as someone who's about to start doing a new podcast called "I Bought That for a Dollar," which is about those uh, movies that you find. In uh, Walmart's and <laughs> dollar, dollar stores, yeah, and Dollar General and any any kind of um, any kind of um, store that has dollar in its name, and I realize I might be punching down here as there as well, 
But the thing is, because there's such a sneering, mocking tone to the to the Golden Turkey Awards. Yes, uh, which was very mean, funny when I first read it. Yeah, and uh, but that was because I hadn't seen all the movies, so they they paint right. them as just this horrible. You know, it, 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 I it was before people like we're just getting to the phase in mm -hmm. society. Where you can yeah, just admit that you like something. I hate when people go, I ironically love this movie. No, you don't. You love this movie. You can love well, it. Yeah. You don't have to ironically, you don't have to like tell people I like, well, I don't really the love ass it. Of everybody who talks about guilty pleasures. Yeah, exactly. Why? Don't, don't, there's no reason to feel guilty. Exactly. And, and there's no reason to feel guilty about Love and Rat Pink Woo Woo because it is. It is. It's a very innocent film. It's a little grimy at the at the start, but in the end, it's a very innocent film. That's just a bunch of guys having fun, and it shows. It shows on the screen that they're just enjoying the fuck out of, out of just how, about making a movie. You know, almost. almost uh, you know, with the appearance of just making it. I mean, the dialogue is simplistic. The story. It reminds me very much of my early days in film school mm -hmm. and my first two movies that I made, which were on Super 8, and I couldn't edit. We weren't we weren't allowed to edit our Super 8 at this time. We had to do all our edits in camera, so we had to sort of scope, you know, plan everything out and just film, you know, take your finger off the trigger and hope for the best. But I did uh, two movies, one with just, you know, two characters chasing down another character, beating him up, right. taking his money, and he and then he gets revenge. And then a more complicated one with different characters and stuff. But the way that, like, he shot the... the it, it reminded me of just, like, all right, we got some camera and footage in the camera. All right, you know, we need to do this and this and this. And it was very, very, very similar. Yeah. <laughs> People, I, once again, we're now living in an age where people could make a movie on the fly very easily. With their phones. On their hats. phones, of all things. Yeah. Whereas um, it was not unusual for some of these outsider filmmakers to spend two or three years just filming the movie. And hoping it, it came together all right. I mean... In editing. And and you say that, but like from a technical standpoint, that is so scary. Like uh, thinking of that, like okay, they're filming, and like a lot of these filmmakers made their movies by not just not going out and buying a, like a nice, clean, brand new roll of film, which is super expensive, mm -hmm. but by buying the cut ends of reels of film where somebody didn't have enough to do the next take, but to you right. know, but enough to do a take for them, and then what doing them all together. And, it buy, even, yeah. and if they were lucky enough to get the same film stock, you know, then they'd have to be lucky enough that wherever they were getting it processed, processed it all the same. So it all looked, you know, similar and it, it, it was just a nightmare. But that's what they would have to do to do it. They'd have to mm. and mortgage their house and stuff like, <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it, it's not until really when I, I started reading the work of Michael Weldon that I started appreciating what went into the movies, you know? Yes. Yeah. 
because he was he was still a little mocking, but he also approached things with a with a, a bit of a bit of respect. Well, it came from a place of love, you know. Yeah, and there, and that, I mean, that's the thing is, is that that's the thing is, like uh, the say I have the same conflict with Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I watch Mystery Science Theater 3000, it's like, this is like the idealized version of me and my friends watching one of these mm-hmm. movies, you know. But these guys had time to, like, improvise it through five times right. and keep all their best gags or whatever. But mm-hmm. and, and and they are well, making, and they're making they fun of through, it. Yeah. Supposedly, but there's love in it. But mm-hmm. Well, oh, here's the deal with Mystery Science Theater. And I know that that our good friends Luke and Jason are going to be very upset with me, as always. Um, whenever I bring this, it's like, there is a great deal of affection in the Joel episodes, the first couple of years. Uh-huh. But I always feel like there's a cruelty to the, to the Mike Nelson years. And I think it shows in the in the way the the yeah just in the way they they riff on things. Um, but anyway, it's just it, what what is... that my 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 quibble with it is that and it's out of control the control of mis- the people who make mystery science theater. Mm-hmm. I don't really like. I don't mind if it's it's a little meaner spirited, but my problem with it it's is more the old man yells at clouds problem with society yeah. of where that's it's it's like the golden turkey awards and it's a mixed blessing but that's where a lot of these people get to see these movies for the first time and like like i i won't watch a movie on mystery science theater 3000 right. unless i've watched it un unencumbered you know and it's in mm-hmm. it's rare and it's basic form and then it's actually a lot more fun on mystery science theater because you you're already anticipating what are they going to say about this this part you know oh this part's going to be fun but yeah i i will say this um uh about mike nelson in in the positive i really they did a riff on incredibly strange creatures which i had seen another film that i had seen at the thalia i paid money to see it on the big screen and I enjoyed it very. I enjoyed their riff of it very much. Uh-huh. So I, it, it, it's their, not their like riff I'm... tracks of the Star Wars Holiday Special mm-hmm. is one of the funniest things I've like. I had I had to keep pausing it because my guts were hurting at certain points of it. it, it so I mean they're very they're very 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 funny, but like I just I just wish I just wish people would would go and and you know. I mean, even if it's a bad movie, the thing is, and, and as as someone who went to film school and has never made a movie, I, I I know that's that puts me in a level below anybody, even close to Ray Dennis Steckler, mm. <laughs> right? Know? And and the fact that anybody makes a movie and that you're watching it in your house mm. and, and it's not someone you know is that that's an accomplishment on that person's part, you know. That that right. it's not an easy. It's a they've done something nearly impossible, and that you know you may feel they squandered it by making an awful movie, but right. they they tried to do it and they they did it and finished it. You know, it's, it's yeah. Uh, even the like um, 
there's something to be said even like when the film is like i'm thinking of there's this one filmmaker whose name escapes me he was from wisconsin and he did two films the touch of satan and the giant spider invasion and they are brutally bad but the thing is once again this guy wanted to make a movie and he fucking made him he fucking made two of them one of which starred Broderick Crawford, granted, Broderick Crawford, like, literally minutes away from death, and Alan Hale. So, we, I mean, as much as we may want to mock some of these people who, who do these straight-to-digital straight to or straight-to-DVD uh, movies, and they, they managed to hire the, a one-star, like Tony Todd. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tony Todd is going to be in, in like two scenes in our movie, and we get to put him these on days. Our it's Bruce Willis. <laughs> it's Bruce Willis. These oh, days. Well, no, that's another thing. That that's the geezer teaser, and the geezer teaser is a very bad, bad thing. And you should be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> you should be ashamed of yourself. That is an entirely different thing. I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about some a, a local filmmaker. Who wants to make a horror movie yeah. really badly and and and, fig, and finds a way to get in touch with, you know, Tony Todd or um, Danny Trejo? Because I know Danny Trejo said he loves working with new new directors, and he will work for scale for a new director, right? And he, you know, these these people they wanted to make a movie badly, and they probably will, and. You have to give them credit for that. Yeah. Even if it is totally repugnant to you and totally and absolutely un- un- you know, objectively terrible, you have to give them credit for that. I, 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 I feel worse for people who have a major studio backing them and make an, an objectively terrible movie. They, I feel, more insulted by yeah, someone who's had access to. Well, that's a, that's another thing though. Like, okay, so say suddenly you're a talented filmmaker, but you're not an established filmmaker. You go to the studio, all of a sudden they give you all these resources, but like midway through the movie, they're just like, "Yeah, we've been testing these scenes, and we yeah. need this to have way more comedy in it, and it has no mm-hmm. comedy in it." And then or, all of a sudden, even worse, they take your your thing away, and they do us they they do a cut. That you don't have approval of. Yeah, yeah. Anything. Oh, There's a million ways yeah. that they can they can fuck up, fiddle fuck your your movie right. all up, trying As to people, fix it or or whatever. But then, yeah. like Ray Dennis Steckler didn't have that. You know, he might have had some friends who invested money in it, but the like yeah. the most that's going to happen is they're going to be like, "Hey, can I be in this scene?" <laughs> you know. So yeah. it's yeah, it's a totally it's a totally what you like. Could you could you do a scene in front of my bar? Oh, you know, and and like you know, I mean, Danny Trejo, I, I you know, he doesn't come from the Ro- Ro- Robert Rodriguez didn't discover him, but I think no, Robert no. Rodriguez really like utilized him a lot, and I think maybe being on those sets, I mm. I think like and Danny Trejo's not a young guy, so it's oh, like no. he probably oh, no. has God, more bless pl- him. It's, it's probably more pleasant on a a small like a small yeah. low budget film set let's not let's not you know 
idealize it can go totally can be horribly horribly a hellish experience as anything else but for the most part a lot of the time it's people who are like like friends that are you know working together and it has a different vibe to it than you know a a big unionized money not counting Trejo's first film which was Runaway Train which was a, a, a big budget picture that he that, that he became a consultant on because he knew how to box and he was in prison the prison that they were um, shooting in okay most of his film is his earliest films are small independent films I remember seeing him and, and here's somebody who we will get back to one of these days because I love this guy Andy Sidaris. Oh. Andy Sidaris. I've never seen movies. an Andy Sidaris movie, so. Oh, you're in for a treat, my friend. So, yeah, you have. Uh... Andy Sidaris knew what the type of movies he wanted to make. And his wife said, okay, you can make them. And he went and he made them. And he actually made a bit of a uh, of an empire out of it. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I'm very honored to say I got to talk to the man briefly um, because I was working for Video Review back in the 90s. And every month they would have like a, a different focus. Like they would have a section for with, with the best action movies, right? And my job was to go and find celebrities associated with those genres and ask for their favorite movies in that genre. And I managed to get to talk to Andy Sidaris, who then recognized me because he read an article I wrote about him, about his films. And he said, you're going to get a package in a couple of days. I I, I sent the package out to you, so uh, don't be surprised. And like two days later, this... Like it was, it was about two feet tall, and you know, package arrives that's full of posters and T-shirts and all sorts of all all sorts of memorabilia. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, say what you will, and yeah, because he, he, a filmmaker he, like that is not just a filmmaker; he's his own publicity agent. And exactly. He he read your review and either liked it or you know whatever was just like okay i like the way this guy writes about me and he's like i'm gonna build a good relationship with him which is smart (laughs) well everybody that i know who has had um dealings with andy sadaris has the same thing to say that i say which is he was such a he was such a nice guy to know but we should save this for when we get to talk about i don't know hard ticket to hawaii but that's the one everybody talks about. I I, I have the, the urge to, to show you Savage Beach, which I think is his best film. Ooh, I like the but, sound of that. But um, Danny Trejo, one of, one of Danny Trejo's first jobs out of prison was as a, um, a henchman in one of the Andy Sidaris films. So he cut his teeth in the acting world in independent film. And I think he's grateful for that. I mean, yeah, I I could talk about how great a man Danny Trejo has become, 
all day, but we're, we're getting off topic. <laughs> but yeah, this is the equivalent. This here is Reagan and Steckler. I want to make a movie. I'm going to make. I still feel also with even with the existence of Machete that there mm -hmm. still has not been the ideal Danny Trejo vehicle. It's too bad he's so old because like, yeah. I I wish there was a world where he was in his like forties and got mm -hmm. to do a whole series as some sort of, you know, running yeah. running Chuck Norris sort of character. Yeah. It would have been so if he would have if he would have had a chance to really do Machete mm -hmm. in his thirties or forties. I think it would have been amazing. And, I, and machete but, as like as, as not like a retro film hmm. grindhouse movie as just an authentic somebody was like let's yeah. do this, let's do this movie <laughs> there is and I know I, I I mentioned this on an episode of better in the dark there was a script that I had outlined that I wanted to write in which machete Chev Chelius from the crank movies you know Jason Statham and Creighton Duke from Jason Goes to Hell. Who was the, the hunter guy. Would get together in a bar and just fuck things up. I'd like to see him as a lead in a, in a John Carpenter movie. Would have been great. Oh, yeah. Maybe maybe co-starring with, with Kurt Russell with in Dennis Escape Young. from Earth. You know? I, 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 can picture, I can picture Trejo and, you know... The Dennis Young, the, the Asian actor that, that that was in a couple of his films. That was in Prince of Darkness and of course uh -huh. in Big Trouble in Little China. And like James Hong for that yeah. matter, too. But anyway, let's get let's try to sum up what we what we think about Rat Think Boo Boo. It's a joy, guys. Yeah. I, I, I recommend it unapologetically. It's available uh, for free on YouTube. It's on YouTube just it right is, there. Cheesy is all hell, and it is very low budget, but it, it, it is fun. And it, it's the type of filmmaking that right now, like I said, is being done by kids who haven't gone to film school, but love movies in various barns and sheds throughout the, throughout the country. Yeah. And it's just like we want to make a movie. What do we? What do we, we got? Let's make it. The kids got green screens nowadays. That's the. Yeah, I that's know. The fun yeah. Thing. <laughs> kids could set up a green screen studio in their garage. You know. Exactly. Exactly. So. So yes, I recommend it. I'm assuming you recommend it. Oh, highly, highly, highly. And um, I am not as much of a palate cleanser. But still, I'm, I'm giving you a little softball because I know how much when we went way back when, when we talked about um, 1990, the Bronx Warrior, you expressed a joy for that style of Italian post-apocalyptic filmmaking. Yes. So, next so we're going month, back to Italy. We are going back to Italy. Yes. Get those frequent flyers. We're going flyers. back to the, the mother country of crap. And um, we are going to visit with a film directed by 
another titan of actually a very important director in Italian cinema, Joe D'Amato. And this is a uh, film that you like Mad Max, right? I do like Mad Max. Uh, do you do you like um, The Running Man? I do. Richard Dawson's awesome. Um, what, what else? What else is in this? Um, do you like The Devil's Reign? Oh yeah, I anything John Travolta's in. Um, or Shatner for that matter. And uh, what what about? Is Shatner in this? Is that what you're this, telling me? No, no, Shatner is not in this. But yeah. oh my god, it's like what isn't in this film? We are talking about 1983's Bronx Lata Finale, or as it was released here in the United States, Endgame, directed by Joe D'Amato. Ooh, so, I hope there's a snap in it. No, but but Laura Gemser is in it, who was in a man, Black Emmanuel, was it Emmanuel and the Cannibals? Oh, so so there is that. Acha. So un, until then. I think you should go. You should go! It's the big boss of Go Go Party. This old gelato don't run out of steam. We're gonna make that a go go scene. Six girls sitting in the back seat. Six guys hanging out the rear. If you're tall and thin, we can squeeze you in, then we'll all split for the shore. Go, go, Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two, Two True, True Freaks.
we were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this. <laughs> 